we are continuing a series looking at our habits, the various things that we do throughout the week, often done unconsciously, that all are an aspect of forming our identity and who we are. For example, if someone has the identity of a runner, but the habits that they practice throughout the week are not that, not the habits of a runner, there'd be incongruency, and you would really say, Pastor Steve, your identity as a runner is not true anymore. I was reminded of that this last week as I had lunch with a variety of people from our church, and one of them said, you know, Pastor Steve, you haven't been with the Saturday morning running group in probably over four years. Our habits, the things that we do that are a part of our life, become some sort of a portion of identity. The more consistently we'll do something and be involved in a specific habit, the more we could say that is a part of who we are. If I constantly arrive on time for meetings, right? If that means 10 minutes early, 5 minutes early, that means you have the identity of a prompt person. If you consistently are, are taking time out of your schedule to try to meet with people, you have the identity as someone who loves and cares and meets with individuals, who, who loves to hear what they have to say. You are a, a, have the identity of a people person. If you, are, if you are having habits within your life where you meticulously are able to plan out each section and you create little spots in your calendar for, for this thing to happen, for that thing to happen, you have the identity of an organized person. All of these habits come to flow into who you are. In the same way, if our identity, as we we see in Scripture, is a person of Christ, then we are going to begin to take on some, some habits that show that we are a person who loves Christ. And there's a, a book called The Celebration of Discipline. And now, this is not a parenting book about disciplining children, right? Uh, this is about spiritual growth, spiritual disciplines. And uh, Richard Foster, he says something about service, which is, is the, the habit that we're going to look at together today, the habit of service. He says this, serving enables us to say no to the world's games of promotion and authority, oh, I think I had that actually up here, to say no to the games of promotion and authority. Really, it abolishes that need or even a desire to place ourselves in a pecking order. That's the, the term that he uses. If you're not familiar with the term pecking order, oftentimes it has to do with chickens, you want to see some chickens, you're welcome to open that door and look out into the parsonage uh, backyard and you'll see chickens. And, and if you watch them for a while, 
you'll find that there's a certain pecking order. There's one that has elevated itself to be the leader among the group, and everyone will follow what that particular chicken does. It happens to be Harper's chicken named Bok Bok. Bok Bok, if Bok Bok goes out of the coop, then all five other ones follow. If Bok Bok goes in in eats something that we brought out, everybody else says, oh, that's okay for us to eat too, and they go there. There's this pecking order. They know who to follow. And what Richard Foster says, in our lives, we sometimes try to create this pecking order as well, trying to figure out who is maybe higher up on the ladder than other individuals, who is lower on the ladder than other individuals. We actually find in Luke chapter 9 where the disciples try to do the very same thing. They want to find out who's the greatest among the disciples. Well, surely it has to be the one that was called first, right? And, and the one who was called last, well, then they got to be on the bottom, or maybe the one who is going to be least among them the one, is the one who's going to betray Jesus. Or maybe because, because Peter didn't believe Jesus enough to walk on the water, maybe he gets put down to the bottom. They try to figure out a pecking order of who is more important. And that's what happens is we like to create these things to cater to our desires our desire for promotion, our desire for authority. This morning, we're going to head to John chapter 13. And the Black Bibles in front of you, that'll be page 874. Uh, Students, if you got your Bible with you, it'll be page 1,319. And we're going to look at uh, a story that might be fairly familiar uh, to you, perhaps you've you've heard it before, um, and we'll we'll take a look at it from the aspect of service and servanthood. Read along with me. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, Peter said, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless... I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. 
Jesus answered, those who have had a bath only need to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that is why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should follow as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. The story of Jesus washing the disciples' feet is one that I have probably heard countless times. Anytime someone is going to preach or teach on what servant leadership looks like, this is, this is I think, the required text almost for someone to go to. Jesus, he grabs this towel and wraps it around his waist. Well, when Emily and I both graduated at separate times from Calvin Theological Seminary, they have this practice of giving you this ordinary, it's kind of a plain, I'd say it's a looks very cheap towel. And it has the letters CTS on it, which happened to be like Calvin Theological Seminary. But that's not what they say it's for. President Maidenblick, every time he hands out these towels, it's a reminder of what Jesus has done and that you are called to serve. And that's a, a call that God not only gives to his people who are leaders, who are pastors and teachers, as Jesus was, a teacher, a rabbi, but Jesus gave that to all the disciples, all of his followers would be receiving that towel, so to speak, saying they are called to serve. That's what Jesus shows us through his actions, isn't it? A call that we would follow in doing exactly what he did. Here in this passage, the reality is the disciples were aware that someone needed to wash their feet. It was a common practice as you would come in and, and, and get to a place for a meal. You were dusty and, and dirty. Your feet were from walking around the, the dirt-filled streets, from walking around the, the countryside to get to wherever you were going. And it was customary that a servant would then wash your feet. It's not really a regular practice that we would see here. But maybe we could think of it this way. When I have my kids come in and, and they're about to eat dinner or lunch, there's one thing that I say that they should always do before we go and eat, and that is wash our hands. 
because we don't know what we've been touching and, and so on. And so, so we wash our hands, but Jesus, he said he was going to take the place in washing the feet. To be frank, I really don't like feet. I don't like feet. They get dirty when we go camping. The kids are walking around and they're getting dirty just like the disciples would. And, and there's this aspect that I also don't want their dirty feet getting inside the camper. And so we, we have this practice of having this bucket that we would wash our feet before we come in. Emily and I really don't see necessarily a big deal with washing their feet, even though I don't like it. But for Jesus in this day, it would have been very demeaning for him to do that. It would be as if someone who was highly respected, someone who is in this significant position of authority, would come and do the most demeaning task that you can think of. Be like, the President of the United States coming over to your house for dinner, and then all of a sudden you see him taking out your trash. You see him taking out your recycling. You see him out in the yard cleaning up the dog poop. You see him doing things that you would, would not think that that person would do. That's... That's what it was like for the disciples to witness Jesus grabbing a towel and wrapping it around his waist, filling a basin with water, and coming to wash the feet. It's just nothing that they would have expected. And then he went to each disciple, including Judas, knelt down, took their feet, washed them, and dried them with that towel that he had around his waist. When Jesus went up to those dirt-caked feet, he was redefining what it looked like to be great. He was giving a new concept abolishing the idea of authority over one another, abolishing the idea of status and lording one's status over another individual. With Christ, there is no demanding of authority over another because we, his followers, would, would follow in his example he said in verse 14, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should go and wash one another's feet. Let me tell you what Jesus isn't saying. <laughs> he isn't saying that we, as his followers, should take advantage of, of, of others serving us. There's a difference between living a life where we are being served and living a life 
of a servant. There's also a difference of being uh, of serving versus being a servant. When we say we're going to serve instead of being a servant, we put ourselves in the position of authority to choose when and how and what and who we will serve. When we take a position of a servant, we give up the authority and the right to decide when I'll serve, to decide how I'll serve, to decide who I'll serve. I think sometimes we, we worry. We worry when we take on the form of service, that idea of choosing when and how and who. When we walk by somebody in, in need and we wonder, well, are they going to take advantage of us? Or, or maybe... Me, the deacons think about this too, was as someone comes for benevolent need and, and we wonder, well, is that person going to every church or all these different places and are they taking advantage of people? Are they taking advantage of, of the goodwill of people? But when we live a life of a servant, just like Christ has, has taught us, we give up those things and we serve graciously the people that God has brought into our life. That's true acts of service. Being a servant will result in true acts of service where coming from a position of, I'm just going to live a life of service, in that position of authority, we really at times do that out of a desire for self-righteousness. True service and self-righteousness, we can even think about that ourselves. They're not the same thing. Self-righteous servants, self-righteous service, they will be calculating and scheming, perhaps. Self-righteous service is something that is done in order to be noticed. I saw that person serving. Self-righteous service involves an internal scoreboard in our life where we endlessly compare ourselves to how much or how little someone else is serving. Self-righteous service is, is done for external praise and appreciation and applause. Self-righteous service it serves out of a desire for others to serve us and return the favor, so to speak. Richard Foster goes on to say when he talks about self-righteous service, that often a hindrance to true service is desiring to have the feeling to serve. That we need to, in our life, I need to feel like I need to serve to being put in a position where I serve others, where the reality is, whenever we put our feeling into something, our feelings can often be selfish. Even in my life, I'd say, if I waited till the feeling of wanting to do something, it would probably be like running in my life. 
where I haven't done it for four years because I don't feel like running. When we put our feelings into it, it, it's a barrier for us to true service. Because the reality is true service, it's a lifestyle. It's not just a, a part of our life. Oh, we're not there yet. It's a lifestyle. True acts of service are ingrained in our patterns of living. It reveals itself. Though self-righteous service would be some temporary add-on from time to time, true acts of service will be something that exudes out of who you are and in how you live. Where self-righteous service in the scoreboard mindset rests easily after they've served, saying, ah, I've done, I've done my time. That's not, what, that's not what true acts of service say. And he writes in his comment on the Gospel of John says, Christ-like character is known by the ease and spontaneity in which someone is willing to do the little, annoying, and messy things. It's that image of Christ who puts on the towel to do the demeaning little thing Nancy Wright continues by saying, he's like, true acts of service in our life, people who are doing true acts of service in our life are doing those things that we wish other people would do. Doing those things which we think perhaps are, are below us, that are a waste of our time, that would be demeaning to us. People who are living lives as servants of Christ, they're doing those very things. That's why I think true acts of service often remain hidden. Because people don't do it for the glory or for the praise. They, they see something and immediately respond to do it. True people who are living true lives of service look away from themselves and to the needs of others. They're consistent. They're faithful. They're humble. Their acts of service build community. Their acts of service don't need any types of calculation for they just delight in the opportunity to be used by Christ through serving one another. I think it's when we bring, bring in our life the consistent and faithful acts of true service that the Lord arises humility within our life. To recognize that we're not above any certain task. We're not going to lord a, a position of authority over anyone else. We're going to choose to be available. We're going to choose to be vulnerable. We're going to choose to surrender our life as an offering to the Lord, willing to do whatever He desires in our life. When we bring that habit of 
serving others as Christ has served us, we mimic him not only in what he did for the disciples, but we mimic the laying down of our life, just as Christ laid down his life for us, taking the ultimate form of a servant for for you and I, that we would experience that new relationship with God. Offering his body for the complete forgiveness of our sins, for the restoration of not just people, but the world. And that we then would would go on thinking more highly of others than we do of ourselves. Perhaps when we, when we put these true acts of service in our life, it can be a little hard. But what if we, what if we began the practice when any, anyone ever said our name, that we responded, how can I serve you? If someone calls you by name, I wonder how many times that would happen throughout the day and how that would change our mindset from what I need to get done, to how we can bless and honor those who are in our presence. So I invite you, there's a a question for thought within uh, the bulletin this week. Take some time to reflect. Take some time in in prayer as, as you can think, what's your first reaction when someone asks you to serve in some way? Wonder how that reaction has been shaped in your life, how that's been formed, and then then to think about how we can live differently as we bring the habit of true service, service without the need for glory, without the need for acclamation, into here in all the places that we live. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for how you sent Christ not as someone who would lord his deity over the people of the world, but one who came to such a humble position, giving up the the power that would have, have been his to have, but he didn't want to use his own power for his advantage. And that he would would come in a way to serve humanity by washing feet, by healing sick. He always had desire to serve. Even when he was going to other places, he would stop and notice who was there. May your spirit arise in us, that desire to serve. May your spirit arise in us a desire to do so out of compassion, not out of self-righteous glory. Transform us more and more into the image of Christ, we pray. Amen.